Let's take our Bibles here this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be glad when I'm able to have the, my old pulpit back. When I was uh, traveling in evangelism, of course, there were all different kinds of pulpits. Some were taller, you know, some were shorter, and I have to bend way over to read. Uh, some were wide, some were skinny. I remember one, bap, uh, one, uh, yeah, one pulpit, it was actually it doubled as a baptistry tank. It was that wide and that deep, and you pop the top off, fill it full of water, and you could baptize people in it. Well, this would definitely not work for that, I can tell you that. It's good to see some of our college kids home, and uh, the days, glad you're back up in the north country here, where it's warm, and <laughs> you're, you'll get used to it about, what, July or... Something like that. But glad to have you home. Um, Rianne, did you... Rianne's one of our college students uh, down in Florida. Did you and Chris ever go out on a date at all? No? No. You know, I was down there, and I, I got to preach to the college students, and you know, I talked to Rianne about this. There's this great guy, Chris Bond, okay? Great guy, good guy, plays soccer, gets an occasional yellow card here and there. Along. He's, he's a zealous fella, excellent family. I told Rianne, you know, come on, Rianne, time's a-wasting. This is your senior year. Chris Bond, I said. Didn't I say that? Yeah, you know, and then I even threatened her. I said, do I have to say this for the whole student body? 4,500 kids. Would uh, Rianne Bohalski and Chris Bond please meet me down at the altar? I mean, the front of the auditorium after the chapel. But I didn't do that, did I? No, but, but here we are. We're, time's a-wasting. Glad to have you home. All right. Ephesians chapter number 6. You know, today marks uh, the last last portion of our study here in the book of Ephesians. I hope hope you've enjoyed it. I have loved it. I have grown as I've studied it. And uh, I found myself being convicted uh, throughout my study of this book. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. It's really such a wonderful letter. From the heart of a man in the Apostle Paul who was imprisoned at Rome during this time in his life. And yet his hearts and his thoughts were for the church at Ephesus and oh how he loved that church. And I really believe the church at Ephesus reciprocated that love. And uh, and you remember as we've studied our way through the book, the first three chapters had everything to do with the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ that that he has given to us. Sometimes as we're going through life, we tend to dwell on what we don't have. We tend to think about, we look at our lives, we look at our situations and circumstances, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's our abilities, maybe it's our finances, maybe it's uh, our employment, whatever it may be, and we tend to dwell on what we don't have. And uh, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, took the first three chapters to tell us what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not paupers. We're not beggars as the children of God. Uh, we have everything that we need for what God has called us and commanded us to do. And we saw that in the first three chapters. Then in chapter 4, we learned of God's command to us and how uh, uh, in that chapter, in chapters, chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, and the question would come to our minds, well, what is our vocation? What are we supposed to be walking worthy of? And then he said in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness. That's 
strength under control, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, putting up with one another. Do we ever have to put up with one another as believers? No, it's, it's not quite heaven on earth. We love one another, but we do have flesh, and we do sometimes walk in it. And there is a need to put up with one another with lowliness and meekness and to suffer long sometimes. And then in verse 3 he said, endeavoring. That's a great word, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And uh, we studied those truths out. And then we saw in chapter 4 how Christ has given his church gifts, pastors and evangelists, for the edification of the body of Christ to teach the word of God. And we were warned in chapter 4 not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We were warned of that. Don't grieve the Spirit of God who lives within you, who's working in your life. And then in chapter 5, we were commanded to follow God. Follow God. You have everything that you need. Um, now you need to follow God. And he, and he defined in chapter 5 what it meant to follow God. Walk in love. Walk. Live your lives every day sacrificial, sacrificially loving. Loving the Lord. Loving one another. Walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. Walk in wisdom. And then he, and then he told us again he, uh, another provision that God has given for, to us. The Holy Spirit, he said, be filled with the Spirit of God. Let your life be governed and controlled by the Spirit of God. You belong to him. He's bought you with a price. You have the Spirit of God living within you as a child of God. Say yes to him and let him have his way in your life. And then, of course, he talked about relationships. And he got very practical, didn't he? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. Then he talked about employers and employees and how they're to be submitting themselves one to another. And really all of us as church members are to be submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And this is how we're to be living. And I've loved as we've studied our way through this book. In chapter 6, we were reminded that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And uh, we're not, this, is, this life is not a game. And as much as we enjoy playing, and I like to play as much as anybody, I love to play. Just kind of throw caution to the wind and just play. But this life is not a game. It's a battle. And there's a spiritual battle raging around us that I think most often we're not in tune with. And there is much that can be lost. That which Christ has provided for us, that which we can have or could have, a life that we could live on this earth could be lost. Not salvation from death and hell, but victory over sin today, and much can be lost. And so he said, put on the whole armor of God. And we went and we studied down through the armor of God, and then most recently we were studying on the matter of prayer. Look there in verse number 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And we studied... We preached the whole message just on that, those, that first half of the verse. Praying all of the time. Being always in prayer. With all prayer. Fervency in prayers. Supplication in the Spirit. Praying in obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God in our lives. And then he said in the latter part of verse 18, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And you remember that 
word watching there has the idea of to be sleepless, to go without sleep. What should we do when we wake up in the middle of the night and uh, a, a fellow believer is on our heart? We're concerned about them. Should we worry? Should we fret? Should we be anxious? And the answer is no. According to this passage, we're to pray. We're to go to the Lord for that individual and It's becoming more and more the norm of my life. My sleep pattern has been forever altered, I'm afraid. Even this morning, waking up and several within this congregation this morning on my heart. So are you praying? Are you praying fervently? Are you praying in the Spirit? Are you persevering in prayer for your fellow believers? And that's the question, because the Holy Spirit of God, who loves us, is leading us to pray for one another. He's leading us to love one another, and we ought to be doing that. In John 13 and verse 35, the Bible says this, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if, if ye have love one to another. He doesn't say, By this shall all men know that you are learners of Christ, if you have the loftiest of standards, or if you have the least of standards. By this shall all men know you're my my disciples. Christ did not say, uh, uh, if you are continually quoting Bible verses, or if you are singing certain songs, or if you attend a certain church. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And I want to talk about that here this morning. It's obvious to me that these believers had a fervent love for one another. Look at our text now, down to verse number 21. I'll read down through verse 24, and we'll pray. He says in verse 21, But that ye also may uh, know my affairs, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, I want you to know these affairs, and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that ye might comfort that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Grace, unmerited favor, which you and I need to live the lives that God has saved us to live. How many of us in this room would say, I want more of God's grace in my life? To be the daddy that I ought to be, and the husband I ought to be, or some of you to be the wives that you ought to be. To be victorious over sin in this life, to be victorious over the attacks of the evil one in this life, that we might please God. And the answer is, many of us would say that grace, the grace of God is absolutely necessary. But that prayer of Paul's came with a condition Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And my question to you today is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as we conclude our study of this wonderful epistle. Thank you for how you've taught us by your Spirit throughout our study. Thank you for helping us to understand Help, thank you, Father, for the conviction you've brought into our hearts and the encouragement that you've given us as we've studied this epistle. And, Father, I pray this morning uh, for the filling of your spirit. Father, I pray that your word would have free course in our lives today. 
I pray that you'd be honored and glorified by your word in our hearts. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look again at verse 24. He says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. It really is, I think, impossible for a child of God to expect God to give them more of his grace when we do not love him sincerely. It's possible to make a show of loving someone. It's possible to act like we love someone, but not to love that individual sincerely, isn't it? Um, It's possible to go through the motions of love, but actually to have an affection for something else. And, and really what Paul, he concludes this, this, this uh, letter to the, this Ephesian church, and he concludes it kind of the way he began it. In, in verse 2 of chapter 1, he said, Grace be unto you. And oh, how Paul loved these believers, and he wanted more of God's grace to be poured out upon their lives so that they could live lives not of regret, but lives that were pleasing to God. And Paul knew that they needed more of the grace of God. So he started it, grace be unto you. And now he concludes it the same way. And Paul is praying for them from a Roman prison under house arrest, I should say. He's praying for them that they would have more of God's grace. But he tells them, grace be to all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Not faking it. Not believing a lie that I, I, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but in reality, when push comes to shove, God knowing our hearts, we don't love him. And so he says, I want you to have more of the grace of God, but I want you to, I want you to love the Lord. Now, we know that Paul loved the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus loved Paul. And I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 20, uh, so our minds can be refreshed and, and really have a good picture of how they loved one another. Acts chapter 20, in verse number 25. Acts chapter 20, in verse number 25. Verse 25, I'll begin reading there in Acts chapter 20, and I'll read down through verse number 38. It says in verse 25 of Acts 20, And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. And Paul here is saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus. He's ministered there for years. And then in verse 26, he says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. In other words, I've told you the truth. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's talking to the pastors of the church at Ephesus. For I know this, Paul says, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That's a uh, quite a word picture, isn't it? Think about grievous wolves or wolves in sheep's clothing, sheep clothing coming into a church and tearing apart the flock. And Paul warns them of this. And he says in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, distorting the truth, to draw away disciples after them. 
Therefore, he tells the pastors, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, Paul with the pastors of the church at Ephesus. And they all wept sore and fell in Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompany him to the ship. As I read that passage, and of course Paul was just passing back by, I think he was in Miletus, he's passing back by the city of Ephesus. He, He wasn't allowed to go back into the city of Ephesus. And the pastors of Ephesus came out to meet with him one last time. And you can just hear the love for Paul toward the church, to the church and the pastors of Ephesus, and you can just tell how much the church at Ephesus and the pastors of Ephesus loved the Apostle Paul. And so there was this intense love for one another. And can I say to you this morning, it really is impossible to pray for someone when we don't know anything about that person. When we don't know the situation. We don't know how grievous the situation may truly be. It really is, I think, impossible to pray for someone who we don't know at all. And that's why what may be a great burden on your heart and a person that you love so dearly, but to another believer, you tell them about it, they don't know that individual, and they don't love that individual the way you love that individual. And I ask you, are you praying for them? Paul was praying for this church. He's asking the church to pray for him. It's really impossible, I think, to pray for somebody that we don't love. And so... In our text, this man Tychicus brought information about Paul to the believers at Ephesus. So Tychicus was being sent by Paul from the the house where Paul was living. He's under house arrest. He's chained up to a guard uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Tychicus had been there with Paul, comforting Paul, encouraging Paul. Some even think penning down the words as Paul spoke them out. And and, and Tychicus is going to be sent by Paul back to the church at Ephesus, back to the believers at Ephesus who loved Paul, so that they could be informed of Paul's situation, so that they could pray for the Apostle Paul. And I want to draw your attention this morning, and I want us to notice really two considerations from this passage. First of all, those who love the Lord are co-laborers with God's servants. Think about that. And answer this question for yourself. Do you love the Lord? Those who love God work together with those who are serving God. Now that, That's not a far-reaching thought. Look at verse 21 and 22. He says this. He continues. He's talking about praying, and he says to the church at Ephesus in verse 21, but that ye also may know my affairs. Now, he's already asked them, pray, in verse 19. Paul said, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may speak boldly at the end of verse 20, as I ought to speak. And then he says in verse 21, 
but that ye also may know my affairs. And Paul's saying, if you're going to pray for me, if you're going to watch for me and persevere in watching for me and praying for me, if you're going to pray biblically, you need to know what's going on in my life. And how I do. I want you to know how how I'm doing. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. So those who love the Lord are co-laborers with God's servants. And not, the Bible doesn't say a lot about Tychicus. It says more about him than other men and women. But it doesn't tell us a whole lot about Tychicus. Many of you might never have heard of, of Tychicus before tonight or this morning. Um, and yet Tychicus is a co-labor with the Apostle Paul. Uh, who, who is this man? Well, he was laboring with Paul in the work of the ministry. Tychicus is always meant, also mentioned in the similar letter to the Colossian church. He was from Asia Minor. The Bible tells us that about him, and possibly even from Ephesus. Um, it was Tychicus and Onesimus who carried this letter that we're studying to the church at Ephesus, as well as the letter uh, to the Colossian church, and possibly a letter to the Laodicean church. It was Tychicus who was Paul's companion. Tychicus labored together with the Apostle Paul. He endured hardness with the Apostle Paul. And on more than one occasion, Tychicus delivered valuable information from the Apostle Paul to those who loved Paul. Tychicus was a beloved brother, and you might have noticed that in the passage, and he was a faithful minister. Now, that's a pretty amazing title, don't you think? What if God were to look at your life? What, what kind of a title would he give you? That's a little unnerving to think of that. What kind of title would he give you? What kind of title would he give me? Well, he gave Tychicus a title. And the title that, that God, by the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, gave this co-laborer was beloved brother and faithful minister. What, what, is, what is the... And I would submit to you this morning, this is the kind of title that those that love the Lord and labor with God's servants get from God. This is the kind of title that God gives to a believer who loves God and who is laboring together with those who are serving God. Look at the term beloved brother there in verse 21. The middle part of verse 21. A beloved brother. A beloved brother is a brother that loves his siblings sacrificially. Mom and dad are here. Uh, Did you ever think to call me a beloved brother to my siblings growing up. One who sacrificially, don't answer, Dad. Don't shake your head. Don't move a muscle. Did you, ever, did you ever think Seth is a beloved brother to his two younger brothers and his younger sister? I don't know. Um, Landon, would you have described your brother that way growing up? Now, I'm sure he's that way now, but growing up. Okay, this is not normal, okay? Uh, and, and sadly, it's probably not normal, or as normal as it ought to be, amongst God's family, the children of God. He's not talking about the Ferguson home growing up. He's talking about the family of God. Tychicus was a beloved brother to the Apostle Paul. 
he, he, he made sacrifice, he made personal sacrifices for his brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul. He wasn't there out of convenience. He wasn't doing it because he was going to get recognition. He was there as a beloved brother. He, he loved his brother in Christ sacrificially. And so, you know, if, if you have received Christ as your personal Savior, then you're a child of God. You're, you're a son or a daughter of God. You're within the family of God. And it is common that our beloved brothers and sisters, I think, are, it is common that our brothers and sisters in Christ are closer to one another than even our, our related siblings. There are many of you in this room, and you would give testimony to that, that you're closer with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ within this room than you are your own birth siblings. Notice also in the middle of verse 21, he's called a faithful minister. He's a beloved brother. He's making personal sacrifices for his brothers and sisters in Christ. But he's also a faithful minister, a faithful minister. What does that mean, a faithful minister? Well, faithful fully taking God at his word, and a minister, that's the same word we use for deacon in the Bible, diakonos, and it means an active servant, an active servant. And I I shouldn't have to throw the word active into servant as a definition, but I'm going to. Is Is it possible to be an inactive servant? No, that's not possible, but I'm using the word active on purpose. Um, are you an active servant? Are you taking God at his word? And I love how the Holy Spirit of God pairs these two words together. Someone who is fully taking God at his word. They're obeying the word of God as the Spirit of God reveals the word of God to them. That was Tychicus. But as he was receiving the word of God, that's faith, he was also serving others. He was serving the Apostle Paul. He was serving the church at Ephesus. He was serving anyone who was around him. He was a faithful servant. He was willing to devote himself to the service of God. He was a helper to Paul. He was an active worker for the cause of Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul would have had a chain at least hooked up to a part of his body. Maybe on his arms, maybe on his legs. I don't know where his chains were, but Tychicus had chains on his heart. And the chains that Tychicus had on his heart were the chains of love. And he loved, he loved the believers. He cared for the believers. And he was willing to give his life for the believers. All that he could, he was willing to give. And God was able to use Tychicus, a, a, a beloved brother and a faithful servant, God was able to use Tychicus to bear Paul's burdens, to relieve Paul's restrictions. Think about this. Paul couldn't go anywhere. Paul couldn't take the letter to the Ephesian church. He's writing to them. He's praying for them. You can hear the love flowing through his pen to the church at Ephesus, I imagine, oh, how much Paul would have loved to have delivered the letter himself. Oh, how much he would have loved to have gone and preached these things to the church at Ephesus himself. But he was bound, he was restricted, he was limited. And God used a co-laborer, a beloved brother, a faithful servant to help Paul's limitations, to bear Paul's burdens, to expand the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that people like Tychicus are invaluable to the kingdom of God. He was not an apostle. The Bible gives him no title other, other than these two that we've read here. A faithful servant and a beloved brother. 
and he was invaluable. And, 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 I can, and I will tell you this, these two titles are noble in the kingdom of God. Sometimes within churches, we seek titles. I don't know of any title that is greater than that title that Tychicus received. The Bible doesn't say he was on a deacon board or that he was a pastor, at least in Ephesians. The Bible just tells us he was a faithful minister and he was a beloved brother and God used him for his glory and his honor. And and what is it that I, as your pastor, desire for you as a church member? And the answer is that you would love your siblings sacrificially. That you would love one another sacrificially. That you'd be willing to say no to self to love one another. And not only that you would love your siblings sacrificially, but that you would take God at his word and that you would actively serve God. And you remember that term serve has the idea of to do the will of another. And the other that we're talking about is God. Love, love one another sacrificially. Take God at his word one truth at a time. I don't expect you to know it all. I don't expect you to do it all. I expect you to take God at his word one truth at a time and let the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit live his life through you. And as he does that, you will serve the Lord and you'll serve one another. It ought to be able to be said of every one of us in this room who are are born again children of God that we are beloved brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are faithful ministers. What is the purpose of those that love the Lord and labor with God's servant, servants. Now, none of us here, we don't know the Apostle Paul. You, many of us here might say, you know what, if the Apostle Paul were in town, I'd be a faithful servant to the Apostle Paul. I'd be a beloved brother to the Apostle Paul. I dare say if we're not willing to be a beloved brother and a faithful servant to one another, we wouldn't have been to the Apostle Paul either. Okay. But, but what is the purpose of those that love the Lord? I've, I've made the comment that those who love the Lord are co-laborers with God's servants. But what is the purpose of those that love the Lord and are, are laboring with God's servants? Well, I think from this passage, I notice one of the purposes for Tychicus was to help the church at Ephesus to pray biblically. We ought to actually have it in our minds to help one another pray biblically. If we really believe that prayer is as powerful as the Bible says... If we really believe that God is honored by the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, then should we not desire that one another pray biblically? And and notice Paul actually sends Tychicus to the church at Ephesus, and one of the reasons he goes is to help the church at Ephesus to pray biblically. Look at verse 21, the the latter part. He says, "And, "...and Tychicus shall make known to you all things..." And then in verse 22, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs. And for what purpose, I ask? And the answer is, for the purpose of praying. Paul sent Tychicus to the church at Ephesus so that they would know all things, that they would know their affairs, so that they would pray. Tychicus was to bring information to the church at Ephesus about Paul. Paul wanted a praying church to have information about him so that they could pray. You know, I tend to be a private individual. Um, I I tend not to say everything. 
or to tell everybody everything. And, and by the way, the Bible says a fool uttereth all his mind, so I don't know that we should say everything we think to everyone we come across. We don't have time for that. But know this, sometimes some of us are very, very, very private. Sometimes things are coming into our lives, there are battles raging in our lives, and we don't tell a soul. And sometimes I think it's because we're private, and other times I think it's because we're proud. And you need to distinguish in your heart, in your life, which is which. Paul writes to this congregation, and he sends Tychicus back to them. He says, he's going to, he's going to give you some information about me. And I want him to give information to you about me because I need you to pray for me. That's the context of this passage. I want you to pray for me. Some of you in this room, and there are times, and I, and I, will, and I, and I pray for wisdom on what to say and how to say it, but there are times where I've come to different individuals in this room and I've shared burdens with you that I'm carrying. And it's always kind of a struggle for me because, you know, I'm the pastor after all and I, I should be spiritual enough to handle all these problems all by myself, right? That's not what I find the Apostle Paul doing. And it's actually in Scripture, part of Paul's prayer request is, is, is written down in the eternal word of God, recorded for all of us to see, would you pray for me that I'd be bold? Would you pray for me that I'd say the things that I ought to say? Would you pray for me that I have wisdom to know what I should say? I'm going to send a friend to you because I can't come to you, and I, I want my friend, he's going to tell you all things. He's going to tell you how I'm doing. And what were some of the things that the Apostle Paul might have wanted Tychicus to, to tell the church at Ephesus? And I think Tychicus would have brought information to the church at Ephesus about Paul's health. Paul was not a healthy man. Paul had been beaten. Paul, Paul had been, uh, we know throughout his ministry, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. Uh, Paul suffered greatly. Can you imagine being chained up for this period of time, this long period of time, even though it was under house arrest? Can you imagine the frustration Lord, you've commissioned me. You've called me to preach your word. You've called me to preach the gospel. Uh, Paul was willing to go anywhere. He was willing to do anything. He was willing to speak the truth to anybody. And God had him chained up under house arrest. I don't know about you, but looking at a man like the Apostle Paul with his kind of character, this was a driven man. And to be all of a sudden held back, and I'm so glad he was because we have much of the New Testament as a result of it. And many of the churches were edified. God had a plan, but I don't know that Paul understood all of God's plan. So Tychicus might have talked about Paul's health. Maybe he would have talked to the church about Paul's finances. It couldn't have been good. He was under house arrest. He might have talked to the Ephesian church about Paul's legal battles. Things were moving awfully slowly. The judicial system in that day doesn't seem like it was any faster than the judicial system in this day. And things were moving very slowly, and I can imagine it would have been discouraging. Uh, Tychicus might have brought information about Paul's thinking and his mindset and and where he was. And, you know, uh, we read a lot about the Apostle Paul, and he's a man who kind of seems to stand above some of the other characters in the Bible. And uh, we ought to be careful not to idolize or put him on a platform. He was a godly man. He was a man that God used. But for, for most of the time in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is, is painted in a light where he almost seems to be above, almost like he's superhuman. He's above, 
He doesn't get discouraged. But the sec- in the book of 2 Corinthians, you find the Apostle Paul struggling greatly with discouragement. He's listing, he has a list of things that have caused him great harm and great discouragement and great opposition to the work of the ministry. And I imagine Tychicus might have brought information to the church at Ephesus about Paul's mindset. Maybe Tychicus talked to the church about soldiers that were being won to Christ. Can you imagine being a soldier and having to be chained up to the Apostle Paul for hours uh, at a time, day after day? Can you imagine that? You know, maybe guys were trying to get time off. I don't know, vacation days were being, I don't know what, what they had. But, you know, I can't imagine, you know, it was a battle for them as they were going in and chained up to the Apostle Paul as he is filled with the Spirit of God, pinning down parts of the New Testament. You know they were hearing the gospel. And I imagine that some of them were trusting Christ. Maybe he brought them information about uh, the latest epistle or description of Paul's situation. Maybe they brought a description. He brought a description that God was still working despite Paul's hardship. Also, the church at Ephesus could pray. And oh, how desperately we as a church need to pray for one another. We need to be biblically praying for one another. And the believer who loves the Lord is marked by a desire that God's people would pray biblically. That's the context. Tychicus is a beloved brother. He's a faithful servant. And he is marked as a man. Part of his role was to help the believers at Ephesus pray biblically. You and I ought to be dedicated to that. Look at the end of verse number 22. There's a statement there made about Tychicus, and that is that he's coming to the church at Ephesus that he might comfort your hearts. That he might comfort their hearts. You know, even though Paul was dealing with personal hardships, he didn't forget the tender love of so many in the church at Ephesus. Paul is under house arrest, and his thoughts are for the comfort of the church at Ephesus about 1,200 miles away by road, 800 miles as the plane would fly. He remembered well his last farewell to the Ephesian pastors at Miletus. And I read it to you earlier there in Acts chapter 20 where they all wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him and sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. In Philippians chapter 2, In Philippians chapter 2, we read about comforting one another and that we've been comforted. Look over there, it's just a page over in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Tychicus came to Ephesus to comfort the hearts of God's people. You know, one one of the reasons you and I ought to gather together as believers is to comfort one another. Because we love one another. That's one of the primary reasons a church gets together. And by the way, it's something that is lost when you and I don't get together. You might say, well, you know, Seth, sometimes it seems to be more strenuous for me to come to church than I'd rather, I'd be more comforted if I just stayed home. If I just stayed away, it'd be more comforting. God created this idea, this truth of the local church for a purpose. And one of those reasons was so that we could comfort one another. In in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 1. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Have you ever been consoled in Christ? 
if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, that is, he's partnering with you every day, the Spirit of God, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, Paul writes to that church, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, on what I need and what I can get, on how what I do is more important than someone else, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, in your mind, consider your fellow believer to be more valuable and more important than yourself. That's what he's saying. Be willing to give yourself for one another. And if you've ever been comforted by Jesus Christ, and if you've ever been consoled by the Spirit of God, if he's ever bared, borne your burdens, the Spirit of God, if he's ever carried your burdens, and, and Paul is saying, do that for one another. Comfort one another. You can look back to Ephesians chapter 6. A believer who loves the Lord is marked by a desire to comfort God's people. And please hear me, the opposite is also true. A believer who has no desire to comfort or care for fellow believers is a believer who does not love the Lord. It really is impossible for me to love the Lord Jesus Christ and not love his body. You see that? It's impossible for me to love Christ and not love his body, have no affection for his body. I don't, I don't, it, 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 it'd be wrong and it would be unbiblical and it would be fleshly for a believer to say, I've got no concern for the body of Christ. I don't need to meet with them. I don't want to know about them. I don't care what they do. I don't care how they're doing. You, you see how that, there's a conflict there. If I love the Lord Jesus Christ, Truly, if I love him sincerely, as Paul says to this church, I'm praying for you that this would be the case, that you'd have more grace, but it's only the grace of God is only to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely. It's impossible for me to love Christ without loving his body. It's impossible. I didn't say it was easy, I said it was impossible. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. In verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And so we're to comfort one another. Those who love the Lord are co-laborers with God's servants. Secondly, this morning I noticed that those who love the Lord are an encouragement to God's servants. Many, so many of you have encouraged me over my six years at Trinity Baptist Church as your pastor. And before that, as an evangelist, so many of you, Cindy and I, would come off the road after six months being gone or three months being gone, and so many of you would encourage us. Do you know, I wonder, if it hadn't been for your encouragement, I wonder if we would have continued on in evangelism. If it wasn't for your encouragement, the Spirit of God through you encouraging us and encouraging me, and by the way, my wife needs as much encouragement as I do, and if it weren't for the body of believers encouraging me, I wonder, would I still be pastoring at all? You see, the same is true for you. You need encouragement. And we as a body of believers ought to be encouraging one another. And it's a mark of someone who loves Christ, who loves God, who is an encouragement to God's servants. 
Again, Paul's separated from the Ephesian church. He's over 1,200 miles away, and yet he's putting on the whole armor of God, and he's going into battle on their behalf. He's praying for them, and the proof of his love for them is this letter. Oh, how Paul loved this church, an epistle for them that was breathed out by God. Paul longed to be with them, I think. He wanted to encourage them. And you know, he had told them, you're not in poverty. You have everything you need in the Lord to go through the fiery trials of this life. And you have everything you need in the Lord to overcome these trials. And listen to how Paul prayed for these believers. Notice verse 23. He says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the brethren. I've told you that, and Paul told this church earlier in this very chapter that in this world we're in a spiritual battle. It's raging all around us. And some of us are currently right in the middle of it. And maybe you're wondering if you really can go on and if you're going to make it and if it's going to work out and how everything is going to work out. But friend, you cannot love without faith and grace without first having the peace of God. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. He trusteth in thee. I'm going to read from a hymn. Turn to hymn number 531. Hymn number 531. Do you, do you have peace? This was Paul's prayer. We ought to pray for one another that we have peace. He says in hymn number 531, Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm. In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls or my soul like an infinite calm. Verse 2, he says, What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace, buried deep in the heart of my soul, so secure that no power can mine it away while the years of eternity roll. I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control, for I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and his glory is flooding my soul. O soul, are you here without comfort or rest, marching down the rough pathway of time? Make Jesus your friend ere the shadows grow dark. O accept this sweet peace so sublime. And then he says, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above, Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in this fathomless billows of love. Do you, do you have that kind of peace? We celebrate Christmas this time of year, of course, in December, and Jesus Christ is honored and glorified in our midst. Do we remember what the Bible says, the Old Testament prophet wrote of this Messiah, that he is the Prince of Peace, that Jesus said, my peace I give to you? Not as the world give I, un, give I uh, it unto you. Our peace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul prayed for these believers and he said, Peace be to the brethren. And then he says, Love with faith. Love with faith. Sacrificial love with taking God at his word. Isn't that how Tychicus was described? Beloved brethren. Faithful servant. Love with faith. Paul prayed for this church. He said, I want you to love one another, and I want you to take God at his word. It really is impossible to love sacrificially when I'm not taking God at his word. 
It really is impossible that for a husband to love his wife like Christ loves the church when he's not taking God at his word. And we can fake it. We can go through the motions. But you really don't love her. Not the way Christ loves the church if you're not taking God at his word. Love with faith. Whenever we are not taking God at his word, we are selfish, aren't we? We're self-serving. We're self-centered. When we're taking God at his word, we're selfless and we love sacrificially. Peace, love, and faith come from, he says in verse number 23, the God, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And they are co-equal and they are co-eternal. And it's interesting to me here that the Apostle Paul describes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God describes God not as a judge, although God is a judge, and not as a creator, although he created all things. And the Spirit of God did not emphasize God as holy, although he is holy beyond our capability to understand. Here God is emphasized as a father, our heavenly father. And we are his children. Grace, in verse 24, grace. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That's where he started. Now he's back at the beginning again. We've come all the way around. Asking God for grace for this church, Paul ends the letter the same way. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It is unlimited. It keeps us company all the way through this life, and it is grace that will see us home. And every single believer in this room, every one of us needs grace, and every single one of us needs more of the grace of God. And Paul prays for this church at Ephesus that they would be blessed by God and that he would give them more of his grace. But then there's this condition. And you see it in verse 24. To them that love God, to them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Genuinely loving Jesus Christ more than we love anything else is the condition for more grace. And how can we know if we truly are loving God more than anything else in our lives? In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If ye love me, keep my commandments. How do I know if I truly love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in my life? And the answer is, if I'm willing to do what he says. If I'm willing to obey him, not go through the motions of obedience, not obey enough to get the applause of another individual, but to be able to truly say, he is everything to me. He means all to me. I love him more than anything else. Do we love our children more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love our spouse? Do you love your spouse more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do, you love your, do we love our hobbies more than we love him? Do we love athletics or hunting or whatever more than we love him? Do we love the ministry more than we love him? Do we love the church more than we love him? If you love me, keep my commandments. Later in chapter 14 of John, in verse 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I'll show him more that I love him. In verse 23, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. 
and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Last thing Paul writes to this church is he says, I want you to have more grace. I'm praying that you'd have more grace from God, but it depends upon whether or not you will love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely. Not an actor, but sincerely and genuinely. And as a father, and as a husband, and as a pastor, this is a, this is a question, this is a prayer request I need to answer in my own heart. Because really the grace of God in my parenting with my children is dependent upon whether I love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in the world. More of the grace of God in my life is dependent, in my marriage with Cindy, is, more, is dependent upon whether or not I love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in the world. Sincerely, genuinely, more grace upon my life in the pastor is dependent upon whether or not I love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely, genuinely, without wax, without any makeup, just sincerely. I wish we could end here, and we're, we're going to end here, but there's something I need to tell you about the church at Ephesus. This epistle was written from Rome in about A.D. 64. In about 30 years, John, the beloved of Christ, was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He was penning down the book of Revelation. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to John and he, and he spoke to John about seven churches. One of the churches that Jesus Christ spoke to John about was the church at Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, the beginning of that chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ tells John that he's walked in amongst the churches. And amongst the church, specifically, he names the church at Ephesus. And he names several things about the church at Ephesus that are very good and very admirable qualities about a church. But then he says, I have somewhat against thee. Because you've left your first love. As I thought about this this morning, I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder what Christ will say of Trinity Baptist Church in 30 years from now. I wonder where you'll be in 30 years from now. Some of us are going to be with the Lord. I may be with the Lord. There'll be new faces, probably. Some of us will still be around in 30 years from now. But I wonder what God will say about Trinity Baptist Church 30 years from now. Because at the time of this writing from Ephesians, from Paul to the church at Ephesus, I think it's a church who loves Paul and they love the Lord and Paul loves them. And Paul's saying to them, but grace be unto you, but you need to love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely. Not just going through the motions. And somewhere along the line, the church at Ephesus left. They walked away from their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I asked you this morning, where's your love today when it comes to Jesus Christ? Are you in the process of walking away from him? Christ didn't say they, they lost it. He says they left it. They left it. Maybe someone got offended. Maybe someone got hurt. Maybe someone got in love with this world. Or loved something else more. I don't know what it was, but somewhere along the line they left. Lord Jesus Christ.